How many plastic bags does LEGO produce every year? Is fast fashion finally losing the battle? And which cute animal found love through online dating? We've got some amazing good news to go over today. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Valentina and welcome to My Life Without Plastic. Hello, hello, hello everyone! Welcome to another beautiful Tuesday. As I mentioned to you last month, I really wanted to have a monthly good news segment. I think it's good to just take a break from all the bad news and focus on, you know, the positive things that have been happening around us lately. We spoke about some very heavy topics last month, like focusing on farming, um, specifically factory farming. And I really wanted to brighten up the day and honestly just start this month on a good note. So I found some really fun, interesting and exciting news about the environment from last month. And I really wanted to share them with you. So let's jump right into the very first big announcement. There's no time to waste today. Lego to ditch plastic bags after children call for change. Lego will start replacing plastic packaging with paper bags from 2021 as the toy brick maker aims to become more sustainable. Lego said it had been prompted by letters from children asking it to remove the single-use plastic bags. It said it would be investing up to $400 million over three years to improve its sustainability efforts. Lego bricks themselves are made of plastic, although the company is exploring alternative materials. And that's a direct quote. We have received many letters from children and um, they've been asking about the environment, asking us to remove single-use plastic packaging. Lego Group Chief Executive Niels B. Christensen said, we have been exploring alternatives for some time and the passion and ideas from children inspired us to begin to make the change, he added. So from next year, the toy company will start introducing recyclable paper bags certified by the Forest Stewardship Council to package its loose bricks. So no more plastic bags inside your Lego sets. This is part of LEGO's ambition to make all its packaging sustainable by the end of 2025. Children like the paper bags being trialed in 2021 as they were environmentally friendly and easy to open, Mr. Christensen added. Pressure has been growing on retailers to reduce their use of plastic bags and packaging. However, it is not always straightforward to ensure alternatives aren't more carbon intensive to produce, transport and recycle. And we're going to touch base on this, but, you know, just to keep that in mind, just because something's made out of paper doesn't necessarily mean it's more sustainable. You know, like it's not just the material. You also have to think about the production effort, the transport, the recycling, all of that comes into play. So this is why they're saying it's not so straightforward. It's not as simple as let's just replace plastic with paper. So I'm sure that there has been a lot of thought going into this big decision. You know, they, they didn't just decide from one day to the next to switch to paper. So just keep that in mind. Like it's a pretty big deal. It's not it's not an easy decision to make. 
Lego said its investment would also go into educational programs and efforts to make the company more sustainable in other areas. In 2015, the Danish firm set a target to make its products from sustainable materials by 2030. As part of this pledge, it will expand the use of bio bricks, such as those using sugarcane as a component. I think that would be pretty interesting, you know, having Lego from sugarcane instead of plastic. That would be a very interesting uh, idea to explore. And earlier this month, Lego said sales and profits had risen in the first half of the year as consumers bought more of their products during lockdowns to restrict the spread of coronavirus. It said families bought bigger and more complicated Lego sets to keep themselves busy. So obviously, if you think about it, whenever there's a holiday happening, usually Lego sales rise up, right? Like Christmas and things like that, because families usually buy those presents, uh, Legos as presents for their children. So whenever there's a holiday, naturally sales rise up. But Lego's also saying that they've experienced the similar um, rise in, in, in demand, they're in quarantine because obviously families are locked up and they're just searching for something to do um, together as a family. And especially when they have little ones, you know, with school being from home and everything, it's definitely a great way to keep kids entertained. But obviously, that's also not a factor in having more plastic bags circle around the world, right? So the toy maker plans to open 120 new Lego stores around the year. Even though during pandemic so many other smaller shops have closed, Lego's actually, you know, booming. So this is pretty much the article that I read. Um, it's been published on several different places. Um, this specific one was from BBC, which I'm going to link up so you can... Um, read for yourself if you want but I kind of wanted to dive deeper into this issue to understand why it's so important for Lego to take any actions because on the surface for some people it may seem like something so little you know just another company switching part of their production efforts into something more sustainable but I personally believe that it's so much bigger than this and let's see why well, when opening a new box, most of the pieces are in closed plastic bags. And sometimes inside those plastic bags is another plastic bag with even smaller pieces. And, you know, I find the pieces for the most part rather random. Like, I'm not really sure how they categorize and put those pieces together. Because sometimes a particular brick shows up in more than one bag, right? So it's not necessarily that they bag all like all bricks from the same kind in one plastic bag like it, it's mixed so i'm personally not very sure why and how lego goes about packaging so that's why i was like let me look this up and let me see is there any logic behind how many smaller plastic bags are included in each box and is there something that goes behind that thought process well what i found out is that lego puts its pieces in small plastic baggies to make the job of packing a box cheaper um, and obviously less aero prone, right? When Lego wants to include elements in a set, they have to gather together all the elements necessary and put them into something. So for a fairly typical set, 
Lego needs about um, 237 pieces of 78 different types into the set. So in general, let's say a general, very generic Lego set usually includes about 78, 78 unique types of bricks, which total to about 237 pieces, right? And if they put um, all of those pieces in one big bag or box at the same time, they would need 78 different elements on the packing line at all the same, uh, you know, all of them at the same time. So that's obviously a lot of them, right? It's so much harder to look at 78 pieces at a time or 237 pieces at a time instead of just a small bag of a handful of pieces, right? Um, obviously, the quality assurance process would be would be much slower if they had to look at a bigger number of pieces to make sure that they're all correct. And that's a lot of things to check, you know, just think about it. So many different little tiny pieces from different sizes, different shapes. It's just uh, so much more effort to to look at them and, and check that they're correct, right? So things are obviously easier in smaller chunks. If you, as a human checker, need to verify that 40 pieces are correct, that's much easier than checking all 237 at the same time. Plus, it also means that packing queues are much smaller, so you don't need to buy lines that can support huge numbers. The bags also usually have different sized elements in them. Small pieces in one bag, medium pieces in another, large pieces in another, and so on. So that's because they're packed according to weight. And the machines that they have uh, doing the weighing are more expensive when they have to be more accurate. It makes sense. Anytime that things are needed to be extremely precise, they're, those machines are usually more expensive. And if your entire line were shipped into one box or one bag, you would probably have to have all your machines capable of reading at the highest accuracy rating possible. You would want to make sure that the weight shown, especially, I mean, think about it. How much does a tiny little Lego piece weight? So your machine would have to be so extremely accurate to detect if a piece is missing or not based on the weight. And obviously, that again, that's so much production effort. It's so error prone. Um, machines extremely expensive to achieve that. So those are just some of the reasons why... Um, you see so many little tiny bags inside one single Lego set. Obviously, it also means if you screw something up, you don't have to repack everything, right? You can just repack some of the smaller bags rather than the entire set altogether. Again, it's also less error prone. Boxes can open accidentally in transit or otherwise, or um, they may not have been completely um, sealed right and lego pieces that are small might slip out and more easily um, get lost so um, if they're in smaller bags they're less likely to fall out of the box makes sense well finally it also obviously helps kids build their sets 
especially in recent years, Lego has put numbers on the bags that go in the order of assembly in the instructions. And this costs Lego a bit more money, but makes the building experience better for a lot of builders that find it so much easier. You know, it takes less time to hunt for pieces and it's a little more straightforward when you have to decide which pieces to build first. And so, I mean, you can see how these little plastic bags can become a big problem, right? Uh, just think about how many little plastic bags are included in each set and how many sets are being sold. While I was looking up some statistics, um, I wanted to just find out a little bit more about what exactly happens with Legos, how many are sold, how many bags are included and so on. I found a couple of things, not sure, I can't guarantee they're 100% accurate, but the website I found them on is called bricksfans.com slash lego facts and you know they're they seem to be pretty big lego fans so i'm pretty sure they've done some pretty good and extensive research and they've actually listed a hundred awesome lego facts but i just want to summarize the ones that i've particularly found extremely interesting specifically about this topic right about 20 billion lego pieces are made every year in the Lego manufacturing facility in Denmark. When you break that down, it means the plant is producing about 2 million pieces every hour or 35,000 every single minute. Can you imagine that? 35,000 Lego pieces are produced every single minute. I think that's insane. Well, in 2012, so this specific one, this specific statistic is in, from 2012. Now imagine it's probably so much bigger by now. But in 2012, the amount of Lego bricks sold in just one year could wrap around the earth 18 times. <laughs> Can you just visualize that 18 times around the world in Lego bricks? I think that's really funny. Well, um, around the world, Seven Lego sets are sold every single second. All right, so that's actually more than 600,000 every single day. Just try to think about that and understand the amount of Legos, right? Uh, just how popular it is, how many people around the world are seeking it. So 600,000 every single day, 600,000 every single day. Now, let's say each set includes about 20 little plastic bags, which obviously this is a huge underestimate because there's some very big sets that obviously include way more than 20 little bags. And obviously there's some smaller ones, but on average, let's just go with 20. Even though we know that this is an underestimate, let's just say we're thinking on average there's 20 little bags in each set. That would mean that 12 million, 12 million plastic bags circle around the world just from Lego sets every single day. Okay, now we're talking about those 600,000 that, that are sold every single day. And we're multiplying them by the 20 little bags on average that each set would have. So that would mean about 
12 million plastic bags would be circling around the world every single day just from Lego sets. And of course, again, this number is probably so much higher. This is just an estimate that I wanted to, to do for myself just by looking at those numbers. And I think that it's crazy to think about that, you know, Legos can produce so much waste, right? So this is why I think that it's, uh, you know, this is very big news, very big and exciting news. Uh, really excited to see where Lego takes this. I'm really happy they're listening to the kids and they're actually taking actions. What do you think about it? I mean, um, have you ever thought about how much pollution something like Lego can cost? You know, um, I feel like usually we tend to just think about ourselves. And when we see our waste, we never think that so many other people around the world produce the same amount of waste for specific products. Putting that into perspective, just thinking that, you know, at least minimum of 12 million little plastic bags every single day um, come from Lego sets. I think that this number puts things really into perspective for us. Um, I personally didn't know that. I mean, I personally never have done the math. Like this was the first time that I was intrigued and actually did it. So I feel like we always think about us as individuals and forget how big certain actions get when we consider how many people around the world do the same thing, right? So again, super excited to see where this goes, super excited where Lego takes it and how things develop. But let's jump to the next topic because this one is pretty big as well. The fashion industry has a waste problem. And this nonprofit with 2,000 volunteers is helping solve it. Fabric cuttings and textile leftovers are a difficult class of waste to recycle. But in Fashion Industry First, a door-to-door -door New York City recycling service meant exclusively for textile waste is helping the uglier side of fashion get a green makeover. Fab Scrap runs an internet store and a physical location that's part second-hand shop, part recycling facility based around fashion industry waste collected from top brands like J.Crew, Nautica and Macy's. Jessica Schreiber, the founder of Fabscrap, discovered while working at New York City's Bureau of Recycling and Sustainability that many of the city's iconic fashion industry names were ringing her office asking what to do with textile waste. Being that New York City law requires the recycling of any material if it amounts to more than 10% commercial waste, she realized the problem represented an unfulfilled niche that would make a great business model. By the way, I didn't know that that was a thing, that New York City required anything that amounts to more than 10% of commercial waste to be recycled. I think that that's, um, that's really smart and really good. I'm really actually happy to find that out because it's not something very common, I think. So she pitched her idea to Project Runway Fashion Startup and was awarded seed money for her vision of a company that would pick up textile waste from fashion houses and find ways to reuse or recycle it. 
Accumulating 20 clients in her first year, Schreiber now manages the waste of 434 different brands and her work has seen 600,000 pounds of textiles and fabric spared from entering New York City's landfill network, which with each pound saved representing around 2.06 pounds of CO2. So for every pound of textile that her company has saved, that's about 2.06 pounds of CO2 saved, right? I think that that's amazing so far. Let's see what else they've got. The cutting room floor of a fashion brand studios is a messy place and the bags of waste uh, Fabscrap collects weekly must be sorted by hand. In the past year alone, 2017 volunteers have helped out at the warehouse. Separating the textiles by fiber, from cotton to wool and more, the people at Fabscrap will weigh and document each bag. The organization sells the fabric by the pound on their website and out of their retail headquarters in Brooklyn and ships the unsellable waste to be recycled and turned into stuffing for furniture or insulation for things like moving blankets. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, textile and fabric represents 5% of total landfill space. While a life cycle and analysis found that fabrics for all purposes account for 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions, most of which is methane, a greenhouse gas that is 28 times more powerful than CO2. Furthermore, the dyes and other chemicals used to treat clothing can contaminate groundwater sources. New York City has very progressive recycling laws on the books for fabric and textiles. However, these laws are difficult to track or enforce since private companies haul away trash and the waste of buildings tends to get mixed together. For fashion brands that value sustainability over other corporate goals, Fabscrap represents the ultimate partner and Schreiber has made several close connections with brands focused on recycling and reducing waste. Schreiber hopes to expand to other cities and countries, notably Los Angeles, um, the center of the country's largest cut and sew manufacturing facilities. I think opening in LA gives us a really good blueprint for how we might be able to franchise this to other major cities, Schreiber said in an interview with the Sierra Club. That's an exciting move for the fashion industry and for the planet. So again, let's take a bit of a deeper look into what's happening here. This was the article that they presented. Um, I think that this sounds like an amazing concept. I personally didn't know some of those things, like let's say the 10% rule for New York City. I think that that's incredible. Um, I wonder how many other cities have something like that in place. Obviously, I think it makes um, things like making sure that certain items get recycled, certain materials get recycled so much easier when there's an actual rule set in place that if the commercial waste is, let's say, 10%, then it should be recycled. But first, let's take a look at what exactly is the problem here, right? Like, so they were talking about fast fashion, recycling fabric, like what exactly is that? Is that really possible? You know, 
what's happening here? Honestly, there needs to be an entire episode explaining fast fashion. So right now, I'm just going to give you the big picture uh, because, again, this is going to take so long to get into the nitty gritty. It honestly deserves, like not even that it needs, it deserves an episode on its own where we only focus on fast fashion because it's just such a big topic so many people involved, not just the environment, but just people as well. So I think that um, we're going to spend another time going into more details, but just to give you an overview of what fast fashion is about. Well, fast fashion makes shopping for clothes more affordable, obviously, but it comes at an environmental cost. So fast fashion basically stands for the constant evolving fashion trends and the manufacturing of clothes for very cheap and selling clothes for very cheap which obviously again makes clothes so much more affordable for consumers but it has an incredible toll on the environment and also the people involved in obviously creating those clothes. The fashion industry produces 10% of all humanity's carbon emissions And this is the second largest consumer of the world's water supply as well. And of course, fast fashion also pollutes the ocean with microplastics. So those are just some of like the big picture problems, the main problems um, fast fashion creates. So carbon emissions, consumer large, second largest consumer of water supply and polluting ocean with microplastics. Overall, these are the main points when we talk about fast fashion and the problems behind it. Clothing production, for example, has roughly doubled since 2000. And while people bought 60% more garments in 2014 than in 2000, they only kept the clothes for half as long. So what fast fashion makes us do is... It makes us buy more clothes, but also discard of clothes much faster than we usually would. And because clothes are cheaper, you can also imagine that quality usually is not the best. So it's not necessarily that we discard of clothes just because we don't want them anymore. Yeah, that's part of it. But also because they are simply not good quality and they don't look good, feel good anymore. So not only are they not fashionable anymore, but the quality is also not the best. In Europe, fashion companies went from an average offering of two collections per year in 2000 to five in 2011. Some brands offer even more. Zara, for example, puts out 24 collections per year, while H&M offers between 12 and 16. A lot of this clothing ends up in the dump. The equivalent of one garbage truck full of clothes is dumped or burned in a landfill, Every second. Just think about it, an entire garbage truck full of clothes, either dumped or burned every single second. In total, up to 85% of textiles goes into landfill every single year. That's enough to fill the Sydney Harbor annually. Right? So can you imagine how many clothes? Enough to fill the Sydney Harbor annually. That's how many clothes we get rid of every single year. The other problem is washing clothes alone uh, can release 
500,000 tons of microfibers into the ocean each year. This is equivalent of 50 billion plastic bottles. So imagine not even like doing anything necessarily, right? Like washing clothes is something typical everyone does. And just by washing those clothes, we can actually release the equivalent of 50 billion plastic bottles into the ocean. Overall, microplastics are estimated to compose up to 31% of plastic pollution in the ocean. So microplastic is also a very big topic um, that we need to touch base. It's something, one of those things that we don't see and we forget about because it's not visible, but it, is, it, it does have a big impact. As I mentioned, the fashion industry is the second largest consumer of water worldwide. For example, it takes about 700 gallons of water to produce one single cotton shirt. That's enough water for one person to drink at least eight cups per day for three and a half years. It takes about 2,000 gallons of water to produce a pair of jeans. And that's more than enough for one person to drink eight cups per day for 10 years. And what are the, you know, like the implications of that, right? Like, obviously, we keep on talking about water being such a valuable resource. Well, what happens when fast fashion uses up so much of it? Well, for example, in Uzbekistan, uh, cotton farming used up so much water from the ROC that it dried up after about 50 years. And this was once one of the world's four largest lakes and it's now a little more than desert, basically, with just a few small ponds. So enormous lake that was once one of the world's four largest lakes is now simply a desert within 50 years. This is what we did. Again, there's so many other factors that go into it. So I'm going to go into fast fashion on another episode where we're going to you know, dig a little bit deeper, see exactly what's involved, what's happening behind the scenes there, what are some alternatives. But for now, I just wanted you to understand why this article was so impressive to me, because I feel like this is one of the first steps in us fighting back fast fashion and also an early sign that maybe fast fashion is starting to slowly lose the battle, right? Uh, most of our clothes are made in places where workers' rights are basically non-existent. Garment workers are often forced to work 14 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week. During peak season, they may work until 2 or 3 a.m. to meet fashion brands' deadline. Obviously, wages are so low that they can't even refuse overtime, aside from the fact that they, you know, many would be fired if they actually <laughs> would refuse to work overtime. And in some cases, overtime is not even paid at all. So obviously, the working conditions, the way people work in those factories is also a big factor about fast fashion. So let's see how fab scrap comes into play. And this is what they advertise on their website. So you can recycle fabric scraps, cut cuttings, headers, mock-ups, samples, overstock bolts, production remnants, and any other unwanted excess fabric. I think this is brilliant because we're not just talking about recycling clothes altogether, right? We're also talking about recycling the scraps, which usually is not the case. Usually scraps are simply 
tend to landfill. So, and obviously when we talk about fast fashion, imagine how many scraps of clothing of material is there when when people work on producing huge amounts of, of clothing at once, right? You just cut out the piece you need, sew it together and anything else you just discard. So we're talking about huge amounts of scraps. Um, so the first step would be filling a bag. They provide reusable bags in two colors, black for proprietary materials and brown for everything else. Order as many as you need. This is what they say. The second step is to simply schedule pickup, call, email or request pickup online and they'll find a time that is convenient for you and bring replacement bags. Recycling made sample. This is what they say on their site again. So fab scrap bags are reusable and each holds 40 to 50 pounds of fabric. During a pickup, full bags are replaced with empty bags so you can keep recycling. So you can order as many as you need in each color to get started. Black bags, so you can use those for any material with proprietary patterns or logos. Nothing from black bags will be reused or resold. So that's important to keep in mind. Whatever you put in black bags, you can't reuse or or resell. And then brown bags is for everything else. This material will be evaluated for reuse or resell before being recycled. Now, how exactly does the whole recycling thing work? Well, the proprietary material from black bags and small scraps will be shredded to create insulation, carpet padding, furniture lining, moving blankets, and so on. Whenever possible, FabScrap will utilize fiber-to-fiber technologies, but they currently sort for 100% cotton, 100% polyester, and 100% wool for these purposes. Unfortunately, fabric containing spandex, lycra, or elastin cannot be recycled. Um, If not reused, this material will be destined for landfill. And this is something very obvious to me because those materials are just uh, a mix of different materials. And usually when there's a mix, when, when a material is not pure, it's much harder to recycle that. Uh, but Fab Scrap promises to continue searching for alternatives for those specific materials. As far as reusing fabrics, students, artists, crafters, quilters, sewers, teachers, and of course other designers can use any material we collect that is not proprietary. Make an appointment to come to the warehouse to shop the scraps, uh, some larger pieces and scrap packs of smaller pieces organized by color and sold through our online store. Uh, So obviously, I think this is a great way to actually engage the community and give a chance to, again, students, artists, anyone who who needs scraps for whatever project to uh, go ahead and collect some scraps over there. I also wanted to take a look at, you know, their um, kind of their purpose and why they decided that recycling is so important, specifically with fab scrap. And this is what they point out. They have a couple of points that they list. In New York City, if 10% or more of your uh, commercial waste is textile material, you are required to recycle it. Extended producer responsibility policies for textiles are on the horizon. So obviously the first point is just, you know, being in accordance with the law, right? Then the second point in the 
United States, 48% of consumers check tags for sustainability um, for sustainability information. Brands that market their eco-conscious efforts and corporate social responsibility practices show increased sales. So this second point appeals to brands that want to advertise themselves as rather green, right? Something more sustainable. Obviously, in recent years, more and more people are seeking um, more sustainable products. So that's definitely a plus for them. And another point they point out is that each pound of waste from apparel production is associated with 2.06 pounds of CO2. Fabscrap provides reports enumerating tonnage diverted from landfill and CO2 emissions, emissions saved. So when disposed in landfill, the dyes and chemicals in fabrics can leach into the soil, contaminating local water systems. Um, that's another point while, why they um, care so much about recycling. So overall, those four points are basically the law, making sure that you know we stick to that 10% rule, specifically in New York City. The second one, that consumers are more uh, you know eco-conscious nowadays and they much rather shop from a brand that is rather green and then obviously diverting um, trash or textile waste from landfills saving on co2 emissions and also making sure that um, we don't contaminate local water systems because of fast fashion so overall i think that this is a very very nice um, cause i'm really glad that there's people out there who support this cause and are bringing so much awareness about it i think that fighting fast fashion is extremely difficult because it's just such a big industry and whenever we fight big industries we're the little people so what can we do right but you can see that when we unite when we stand behind a cause all together we can definitely have a saying in what happens and how things happen. So I think this is a great example of that. And the fact that there's 2,000, over 2,000 volunteers just shows you how important it is to so many people, right? All right, let's finish off on a cute note. I know we spoke about today about, uh, you know, like we focused on good news about the environment. And last week, uh, I mean, uh, last month when we spoke about good news, I brought a couple of different types of news, not just the environment. But I mean, obviously I saw Lego and then this fast fashion um, news from last month that I had to share them with you. They were a bit longer and more extensive, but I also found them very important. However, I do want to finish off on a cute note. This last article is not necessarily related to the environment, but you know me, I can't resist a cute animal. So here it goes. Are you ready? I don't think you are, because this is too cute to handle. Lonely otter at Sanctuary finds love through online dating site built just for him. <laughs> this is so adorable. A lonely otter has found love after being set up with a Tinder-style dating profile. Asian short cloud otter Harris had been left single after his partner of four years, Apricot, recently passed away. His keepers desperately wanted to find him a new partner, so they set him up on Fishing for Love, a website created 
just for him. Staff at Cornish Seal Sanctuary made the dating profile for Harris, highlighting all he has to offer and send it out in the hope of finding his new perfect match. The team were delighted to receive photos back from a female otter called Pumpkin, who was also looking for love at Scarborough Sea Life after recently losing her elderly partner Eric. The first date has now been arranged, but the matchmakers said the introduction of Asian short cloud otters can be nerve-wracking and difficult to get right. Experts say to ensure the best chance of a new pairing getting off on the right foot, it's best to introduce a new male into a female's territory, so that the male more easily submits to the female on first meeting. I think that's smart. I think that's a very good practice. <laughs> For this reason, Harris will be moving up to Pumpkin's enclosure to ensure it goes as smoothly as possible. We have our fingers crossed that it will be love at first sight. Or should that be sniff for the furry pair? <laughs> oh my god, I can't. This is so cute. It's a perfect quarantine love story. Modern quarantine love story at that. Because, you know, it happened online. I just think that that's incredibly adorable. Uh, I think that... You know, any the the just the entire story from you know the heartbreak he had he had to go through you know by losing his partner, and she too pumpkin also lost her partner. So both of them have gone through a heartbreak, and they're now ready to find new love. I'm rooting for them. I'm hoping for the best. I'll be following up to make sure that their love story continues. <laughs> I think that this is incredibly adorable. <laughs> All right, everyone, I think that that's enough for today. I really hope you enjoyed these stories. I mean, I think that they definitely give us some hope in what's to come, right? More companies being eco-friendly, thinking more sustainably. I think that especially the story about Lego and listening to the kids, that's a huge step. They're actually listening to kids. This is why when you say, but you know, what can I do? I'm, you know, just a little person. What can I do? Well, you see that you can. If kids can make Lego, ditch plastic bags, you can take some pretty big uh, actions too and make some pretty solid changes, right? And then again, like the fast fashion article and, and a company, a nonprofit company trying to fight against it and, and somehow, you know, find a good way to to reuse what is being produced. Because obviously the whole point is that is something that we can't stop from one day to the other. Like there's, there's no way for us to stop fast fashion all of a sudden and have it just not exist at all, right? But Fab Scrap, for example, finds a good way to work around it and minimize its impacts, right? It's not a solution entirely. It's not a way to replace fast fashion altogether. It's not an alternative plan, but it's a way to minimize its impacts. And this is just another example of thinking big, thinking creatively. How can we, uh, you know, do something today? Not wait until things are, you know, in better positions for us to take actions. But how can we do something today? Today, we can't get rid of fast fashion. It's part of life. But today, 
we can start reducing scraps, reusing them, recycling them better, and just, you know, taking good actions for our environment. And lastly, you know, like the the little love story, I mean, it just gives us hope, especially I feel like right now in quarantine, people have been very sad, very lonely too. And, you know, if, if a little otter can find love during quarantine, so can you, you know, so don't give up. Things will get better. Things are going to get better. Um, so, yeah, well, I'll be bringing you more exciting good news at the beginning of each month so definitely stay tuned for that and next week we'll be talking again about energy so stay tuned for that we're gonna take a look at our energy consumption how it's increased all over the years what are the plans for the future and of course we can't forget the juicy conspiracy <laughs> so see y'all next tuesday bye